0: Hey everyone, welcome to the seventh episode of the Analyze and Educate podcast. Of course, we have our first guest on this time, Mr. Austin Howe, a.k.a. Mazul Medic. You can find him on Instagram at Mosul underscore medic. You can find him on YouTube at Mosul Medic. And of course, he is a Marine veteran who got out and later down the line found himself as a volunteer EMT during the Battle of Mosul, which is of course the Iraqi campaign to retake the city from ISIS. Back in 2017. I want to thank our new writer, Mr. Patrick Rufino, for hooking me up with Missoula Medic and uh, sort of facilitating him coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And of course, Mr. Patrick is our new writer over on the blog at stayready.me. He's got two articles out as of right now so check them out he's a marine veteran as well as a contractor so he brings a new perspective to the blog that i myself cannot do and of course this podcast is sponsored by the mission essential gear company veteran owned and operated company everyone there is a marine and most are infantry dudes so shirts uh hats you know tactical gear silkies field manuals all that kind of Good stuff. I know everyone at that company, I could personally vouch that they're all good, solid dudes. It's quality gear and it's affordable gear. So that's what matters. And let's get on to the podcast. Hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, sir. How's the uh, audio sound on my side? Good. How about mine? Good. Good as well. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, dude. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, has uh, as everything been, man, with the COVID and, you know, all the protests and everything like that?
1: Well, uh, it's been quiet on both sides, knock on wood, uh, in my neck of the woods. So, um, you know, definitely nothing crazy like New York. And, um, in terms of protests go, I don't know if it's just getting started or, you know, what's going on. Who knows how that'll go.
0: Uh, I hear you. I hear you for sure. So, yeah, man, I guess uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm
1: Austin. I do the Mosul Medic on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I've been running the YouTube channel. I kind of like started the YouTube channel uh, 2017 um, to kind of give back to like EMTs and stuff like for like to use as training aids. Um, but yeah. yeah, sure. And so you
0: were in the Marines for a bit, right?
1: Yeah, I was uh, third E R. Oh no, kidding! When were you there? Uh, I was in Twenty Nine Palms from uh, early what two thousand ten until two
0: thousand thirteen. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was two seven from twenty fifteen to eighteen. So oh. just missed you. Nice. Were you twenty nine palms also? Yep. Oh, that's
1: where they stuck the end of yep.
0: Yeah. No kidding, man. <laughs> For good reason, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Punch <laughs> of delinquents. <laughs> so, did you just do four years or what?
1: Yeah, I just did my four years. Got out and uh, okay, went to school out there in Cali. I got the most worthless degree ever, uh, political science major. Picture, like, you know, getting out of the Marines and then going to school in California for political science and all things. And uh, I'm really surprised I don't make videos of myself in, like, a truck going on rants or something, because that's the direction I thought I would... (laughs) That's the the direction (laughs) I thought I was going to go, but thankfully not.
0: Thankfully, that's not Yeah, that... (laughs) That is literally what I'm doing. Oh, wow. <laughs> No kidding. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I'm—I mean, I'm from California, right? So I just moved back back home up north, and yeah, I'm going to school for poli sci.
1: Oh, gosh, gotcha. yeah, yeah, man. It's—it's uh, it's, uh, one of those things where it's funny to always bring up in conversations, and then it's like, oh, what's your uh, what's your, what's your political background? Oh, I hate politics, and people get really
0: confused. Same. I'm the exact same way, yeah. That's funny. Were you a, a scout in LAR, or were you a crewman? I was a scout. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I couldn't... Uh, How was that?
1: It, it was good. It's, uh, it's kind of funny, because like when I was getting out, I was kind of like... Um, I think uh, probably a lot of the dudes I was in with would agree that I was like the morale of the platoon, because I was pretty good at the jokes, even when we were miserable. Um, so when we were getting out, we started a pink platoon for like all the EASers to do all their steps and taps and stuff. And, uh, they would ask, uh, myself and my buddy Jeff to go to the field with them just for entertainment purposes. So like we can go out there and like make it not suck so bad. And, uh, like when they would have to go to the, the ramp and work on vehicles, we would go down there and like hit like the the uh, engine block of the LAVs and pretend like we were working on it like like, wipe sweat off our face every like now and then just like keep people laughing and like keep everybody else thinking we were working (laughs) I still don't know
0: crap about LAVs and
1: I lived out of the back of one forever
0: Uh, doesn't matter man (laughs) Did you do any deployments when you were with LAR? Yeah,
1: I was on Tintec 1 and Tintec 2 out of uh, Helmand Province.
0: Oh, no kidding. How was
1: that? I mean, it was nice. Um, it, we did uh, Operation Rawhide and Rawhide 2. So um, it was on uh, Bagram Shah. We pretty much finally went through and annihilated. I know a couple of units went through before and kind of hit it. And then uh, we finally did like a leaflet operation and like... Pretty much destroyed it with A10s and 500 pounders. And... But yeah, it's uh, I usually, when I have to explain to people basically what I did, I was, I always tell them we were like desert cops. We would just roll around on like Blue force Tracker and they'd be like, Oh, activity <laughs> in this area. And we'd be like, Here we go. And like, that's kind of like the best way to explain what we did. And we were professional. It uh, sounds simple guys. enough. Yeah.
0: yeah i uh i only went to kuwait in 2016 so it's a lot different from anything i did for sure it's
1: hot there it is hot i uh i contracted in 2018 and uh that was the first time i willingly shaved my head
0: it was so hot dude kuwait is miserable man oh my god i don't know that's afghanistan does it get that hot or no it can It,
1: it can become a mix of both um it, I actually so I only witnessed South Side um, when I went there, and then when I contracted, I went up north uh, to Bagram, And it's like in the mountains, and it's like it gets cold, um, but it also gets like pretty hot. So you get you get the best of or the worst of every every world there. Plus the uh, hikes suck because it's all hills and um, moon dust.
0: Yeah. No worries. So how long do you contract for? Uh,
1: I just did, uh, did like seven months. I was like on a year contract and ended up leaving. It was like the biggest meme fest. And I ironically, I I got the contract because, uh, I think I, was it Pat that reached out to you or you reached out to Pat and then he kind of sent you my way. I did. I did like an interview with him, uh, over, over contracting and more about like medicine and like doing medicine and like combat environments and stuff. And, uh, then he like, he told me, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, trying like the contracting thing. And then I went, it was like, I, it was, it was the worst. Like I worked with the weirdest characters and <laughs> like the, the, it's, it's a South African company. Um, and the owner like flew down. he's like, I hate Americans. And I was like, wow, this is really, this is interesting. And then like the people I worked with, um, you got like your mix of like the you know, the ones that couldn't get past their glory days. So they like always bring up like back in my day or like tell you some obviously fake war stories. And then like we had like some dudes that were like, Man, I don't know how you got hired here because you are not medically fit to be here. And so it was I could I could have write
0: a book on all of the
1: characters I met there basically.
0: That's funny, yeah, he that's pretty much everything that Pat told yeah. me, and he he kind of warned me, you guys work yeah, together, yeah, we, well,
1: we worked for the same company, but he did a different gig than I did, so we like ran into each other, maybe like you know three, four times while we were out there. We didn't like work on the same shift, and he kind of gave me a heads up that it was gonna be the way it was, and I was like, there's no way a bunch of adults actually act like that, and boy, was I wrong i got I got promoted like like two months there not even 2 months. I think I was there like a month and a half. I got promoted to like one of the shift supervisors and like it was literally like running a daycare. It was it was pretty awful.
0: Oh, Jesus, ma'am. So, I take it you wouldn't ever do it again. I then?
1: wouldn't, but um I think I think the company I, I I contracted for Reed and I think they're kind of like the meme of contracting anyway. So I think like real experiences would vary. I wouldn't consider that like a real contract. That's like, I don't know. Like they, they, they hired a guy that like, I think he was like, he was on parole or something. He's like, I got to call my parole officer. I was like, how did you get deployed? With a parole officer. Yeah, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I realized that I should not take this company serious. He he like walks in and introduces himself to me. He's like, can I borrow your phone? I got to call my parole officer. And I laughed because I was like, this guy is like a prankster. And uh, no, he was dead serious. And I was like, how are you here? And how are you going to be handling weapons while you're on parole?
0: Jesus, man. Yeah, I thought you couldn't even leave your state if you're yeah, on man. parole uh, it's
1: I, I don't know what happened there but yeah,
0: there were some really cool
1: dudes I worked with too but like for the most part it was like a giant like the turnaround rate there was like 90 something percent like people would be like alright I'm gonna go on leave and I'll come back and then they just would never return and like so like <laughs> yeah it was uh, and it's the, the pay at least for that company again and like I said that company is kind of a joke of a company in terms of like contracting, um, the the pay was definitely like I, I'm making more civilian side here, doing less work and less hours than I was there, so it's not as glamorous as like you know you picture.
0: <laughs> Jeez, yeah, I remember when we first brought Pat on as a writer. Like his first thing was um, about like contracting, mm-hmm. right? And I was surprised when he told me like, yeah, actually, like a lot of people think you you get all this pay and stuff, but it's it's really not that much, at least on an average, you know.
1: No, not to be fair. Like, and I don't know much about contracting. Like I said, that's my short experience with it. But from what I heard from most people, it's all about networking. So a lot of people like take that gig just to get their foot in the door and then meet other people like I got offered another gig while working for them from like a company that's like office was literally next door to the office for the company I worked at. And like, so it's like you, you use those as like, you know, uh, to get experience or like to like build a resume for other contracts or stuff. That's usually what like they'll suggest on like the pages, but I, I don't know. My, uh, my glory days are definitely behind me. I'm a, I'm a pretty boring person now. I, I paint kayaks in my garage, so like, that's uh, that's my life now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw that on in your uh, Instagram. That was a, a rather beautiful kayak, Thank if you. you don't mind me saying. Yeah, I've been, uh, been on like a
1: pirate kick for a while, so like, I turned a purple and pink kayak into... Uh, I named it the Tavern Winch. That's my, uh, my little pirate ship.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice guys so let's see here so how did you end up in Muslim? So uh
1: funny story um like the the short answer late night youtube um the long answer like i was i was working ironically like looking back i was working at a michael's in california in the warehouse and like i know like i talked like a lot of vets that i talk to that like struggle with jobs Like I suggest that to them and they laugh. They're like the arts and crafts Mm -hmm. store. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, like if there's a company out there that's like super vet friendly and like takes care of you, it was Michael's. Like it was a pretty good job I worked for. And they were like, the hiring process was like pretty easy and everything. And they they took care of me. It was just a seasonal gig. It wasn't like anything lavish or anything, but like if you're looking for quick work or whatever, but I was working there and I was unloading trucks and I was kind of like, you know, trying to, trying to realize that my glory days were over you know getting out of the Marines and then going to school and everything so uh, I was like you know I started watching uh, you know like the Isis propaganda videos and like all the combat footage of like YPG and stuff on like YouTube and uh, I found out that like volunteering like Western volunteering was a real thing so uh, I reached out to the the YPG like volunteer group and they're like honestly, you know, a lot of people will go over there and they'll just sit in Erbil Kurdistan for like a long time and not get to do anything. And I was like, well, I don't have the money to blow to go, you know, on vacation to Kurdistan. And at the end of like one of the videos I was watching, it was like a suggested video and it says Americans uh, save lives in Iraq. And so I watched it and it was about uh, Pete, uh, another prior Marine that, uh, he went over and they worked with the curbs as like medics. So instead of like going over there to fight, which you know, if you look at it, that's you know, honestly, it's kind of sketchy. You're like, hey, I'm going to come fight for you, and like were like, I don't know who you are, you know, like that's that's a pretty big liability. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when they talk <laughs> about, hey, I want to go sign up and volunteer for this, because that's that's the number one question I get asked is like, how do I get involved with that? And um, kind of long story short, it's not easy. But um, so I reached out to Pete on uh, Facebook. I found him on Facebook, kind of like pulled the little Facebook stalker thing, like search his name and everything. And I sent him a message and I was like, Hey, do you, do you guys need help? You know, I just became an EMT. I didn't do anything with it. Honestly, I have you know, no real experience. I just have the credentials, you know, I was Marine, you know, uh, all this and that. And I was like, uh, but I also don't want to just fly out there and get in everybody's way or slow anybody down. And I was like, so if you don't mind reaching out to me, and within probably like 10 minutes, and it was weird because it was like three in the morning. So I don't know what time it was there, but he, like he calls me and uh, he calls me on like Facebook Messenger. And I was like, I did not expect that from a guy, you know, working in Iraq. And he's like, Hey, yeah, no, we'd love to have you know, we can we could use some, uh, some like medics out here and stuff. And he uh, was like, yeah, I can get you set up. There's another person from California who's talking about flying out here um, but he's he doesn't want to fly in there alone if you want to reach out to him. And that's how I met my buddy Chris. And I was the same way. I didn't want to just fly into Iraq, not knowing anybody, you know, and then just like go full Rambo. Yeah, so I flew into Germany with uh, my buddy Chris, who was from Northern California. And we went to Germany for a week and then we flew from the other thing that was suggested to us was don't try to get flights straight into Iraq because you'll get stopped. And, uh, so we flew into Germany for a week and then we flew from Germany into Kurdistan and we got picked up by Pete. And, uh, that's kind of how
0: we ended up starting there. Okay, nice. You could fly directly into Kurdistan? Yeah, into Erbil. That's Erbil, right?
1: They actually have a pretty decent airport. Erbil, Kurdistan is, you know, it's pretty westernized. It's like... Uh, pretty well I don't know if I should say that I don't know if that's politically correct but it's uh, it's a pretty nice area um, they have like nice shopping malls and stuff um, and then it's just a few hour drives from that from there into Iraq you know across the Tigris River and that's where all the fighting was happening the the fighting kind of stopped right before Erbil that was like ISIS goal to put on uh, put the black flag on Erbil that was like their goal but they got stopped so, there wasn't really, you know, much fighting there. Which is not what I knew flying. But Jeez. I totally expected, you know, like, like the total, like, um, total, like, you know, lame-brained uh, theory was that I was going to land and, like, sleep in a bomb crater or something. So, like, I, I made the mistake of, like, flying with, like, nothing <laughs> and, like, everything. It was, it was, you know, looking back, I laugh at myself, but uh, that was kind of, like, what I thought, and then, like we went straight from the airport to like the coolest like coffee shop I've ever been to in my life. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. Really? So they, uh, and then the way it works, oh. the way, the way it worked for them, which is usually the other question, cause it's kind of a gray area. Um, cause people are like, well, how do you, how do you do that? How do you just go over there and work with another military? And you know, there's a lot of controversy and stuff is they have a team house and a and that's where they like stash all their medical equipment and stuff. And, like, if you are, you know, like, new coming through, you stay there, get adjusted, and then you go out to Mosul and, like, a Hilux. Or, like, if you've been at Mosul for, like, a few months and you just want to shower, um, come back to Erbil and crash at the team house and um, just kind of do shifts out there.
0: Actually, sound is sound. oh, God, I can't even talk. It kind of sounds a little – relaxed yeah, all things um, considered it was,
1: it was fairly more structured than i expected it to be um you know like obviously it was you know outside coming in it was like oh man like how does this work you know how are we going to be living what are living conditions like uh but pretty much and again it was like another one of those kind of like controversial things i don't know if uh, you saw the uh, Doctors Without Borders, like they wrote a bad article about us. We wrote a bad article about them because we were working alongside Iraqi special forces. And, uh, you know, they were saying that we were taking away from like the humanitarian outlook and we were armed. And, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a really? big deal, but there's more um, to the story there. Um with uh, Doctors Without Borders, they actually a lot of people don't know this. They actually got kicked off the front lines in Iraq, and uh, because they uh, they let a little girl bleed to death because I had a Glock on my hip, and uh, there, a couple of Iraqi special forces medics were with me, and they reported to you know their command, and they were like, "Hey, we don't want these guys here," and they like politely asked them to leave, and then they went home and wrote a hit article on us. <laughs>
0: Jeez. Yeah, if I you did not me, I can know that on
1: uh, Instagram. Uh, one of the, we had a Slovenian reporter with us mm-hmm. who like responded to them, and it was like it's funny because he's I always refer to him as my real life Borat friend. Because he sounds and has the same mannerisms as Borat, uh, great dude, I love him to death. Uh, but he wrote this hit piece and was basically like, "Shut your mouth, like you don't know what you're talking about." And like wrote, and his whole family were like journalists, and he was a journalist that like followed us around. And he's like, "I've got to know these guys. Like everything you've said is wrong." And like, it was it was a pretty good piece. But like for somebody like that group, like um, it's pretty funny because I work I work in the medical community. Uh, Right now, and uh, every time I, you know, that name gets brought up when they find out like I was a humanitarian aid worker and stuff, they like bring them up. And I'm like, no, I absolutely, you know, do not like that group. They're a total scam. Like, and they're like, oh, really? And it's, it's usually like a subject of controversy.
0: Jeez! Oh, so, what were you guys uh, it, it called? Then? So, like,
1: we were Academy of Emergency Medicine, Slovakian Republic was like the full name of like the group we were in, um, and the like chain of command for that kind of like split up into two different groups. So, like, Pete went, Pete went his own little way and like made a GRM Global Response Management, which they still run, still a good group and everything. Um, and then we stayed with the Academy of Emergency Medicine, um, and. So we under like one roof, we had like a couple different little groups. And then we also had a uh, few other like rotating medics that um, uh, I'm trying to remember their name. They were a Canadian NGO, Mermit or Mermit. I, I don't know how to pronounce it or what the acronym stands for, but it was like a Canadian NGO that like slept in our house and stuff. And so we had like a couple little groups under one roof.
0: OK, nice. And what time did you go to? Um, February Biel, 2017. like what year was the, uh,
1: the wet so I went for the Western offensive uh, so I went as soon as the Western offensive starts so the West Mosul offensive actually kicked off on my birthday so it kicked off February 19th of 2017 um, so that was a that was a pretty exciting ce- birthday celebration
0: <laughs> Jeez I can imagine. I'm trying to remember it. Were Iraqi special no, forces so there, in Mosul, no, or was that well, all the so Kurds? And like
1: eastern Mosul is where kind of the Kurds pretty much stopped, and then west Mosul is all Iraqis. I, I've read reports. So, when you say Mosul, and again, uh, without getting too politically or you know geologically like snobby or whatever, a lot of people say they were in Mosul, and Mosul on a map is pretty distinct but there's some like outliers so like for example before you get to Mosul you'll cross through like Nineveh province and uh, that's still technically like Kurdish territory but like there are groups that work there and they're like this is Mosul and so there's a lot of like claims of working in Mosul that would, like there's uh, a lot of airborne dudes that say they were Mosul but never touched the streets of Mosul they were on the outskirts and and, you know, little, little cities, like probably like hours away, you know what I mean? So you'll hear, you'll hear the term Mosul thrown out a lot, but, uh, we kind of got into drawing it like a more distinct version by saying Mosul proper. So like to kind of like, cause everybody's like, Oh, Mosul. And it's like, no, that's not Mosul. It's Nineveh or, you know. <laughs>
0: That's funny. That makes sense, because I remember hearing, like, when everything was kicking off or whatever, I remember hearing, like, oh, yeah, the 82nd Airborne. Yeah, yeah some Mosul. of them were. Um, what?
1: Yeah, so, some so of them were. they, they, they in like, water war. missions and stuff? And we actually used to drive to uh, one of their little bases um, to drop off intel. Um, so, if you've seen my channel, I actually have the chemical weapon videos. And, like, the whole story there is bizarre, and, like, I like every time I talk about him, I was like, "Man, people probably think I'm like this weird conspiracy nut." But like, a totally true story. Like, we started getting cases of people, and they're like, "Hey, a mortar hit. Uh, we got this really funny smell, and then we couldn't breathe, and now we're covered in like blisters and boils, and can't, you know, like our eyeballs are like running, <laughs> and like." So I was like, "Hey, you know, like we need to call this in. You know, this this is starting to smell of chemical weapons, and that's that's pretty much like where we went. So like, we reached out to the UN, and the UN's like." we'll send some people there and they sent these sketchy people there. And we had a, um, uh, docu- documentary guy with us that was shooting a documentary for, um, E, vice and history channel. And they like straight up told him, to turn his camera off. And they were like, making sure nobody had their like cameras on them. So like, I was like snapping pictures with my phone and stuff. Cause I was like, this is really sketchy. And then they like took the patients away and just left without like context. And then we saw like, um, uh, we saw a news article and it was like, uh, there's no confirmed reports of ISIS using chemical weapons in Iraq. So we turned to the army and we're like, we went to uh, army civil affairs and sat down with them and I like gave them all the pictures and videos. And within like a week, the UN was like, confirmed ISIS uses chemical weapons. And it's like, yeah, no shit. And like every time, every time I talk and what's funny, the only video I have videos of like four year olds with like their intestines hanging out and stuff on my channel the only video that's ever been flagged by YouTube was that video because I like called the UN out in it, and it was like the only one and it's, it's still up, but I had to file like a YouTube dispute with it. But like, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting uh, time, but yeah, we used, we used to go there and like um, my buddy Chris and them, they would smuggle like the seals whiskey and stuff. And like we would steal their MREs and like uh, when 82nd would go by (laughs) it uh, and they're like MRAPs and stuff, we'd moon them. We'd drive by in a Hilux because a lot of people there thought we were like locals. They thought we were just, you know, Iraqi locals. All of us had like really crappy beards grown out. and You know, all of us looked homeless and stuff. And uh, so people would often mistake us uh, as like just Iraqi locals and we'd moon them and stuff. And then we would always like joke. We're like, man, some, some seal somewhere is telling a story about like somebody in Iraq driving by and mooning them while they were just on a convoy. And like, it's gonna be great. Somebody somewhere is gonna hear this one day, and going to be like, "Dude, I swear!" Because they were telling their buddies, and none of their buddies believed them.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, man. You to to bring it back to what you were saying about the UN. I wish I could yeah. say I was surprised yeah, to hear what you there's said. There's a lot of a lot of controversy but...
1: with them too. I could say that definitively. They are. Uh, I mean, without getting too political and everything, they didn't do much during the... So Mosul was the largest humanitarian crisis since World War II. Um, so it was a pretty big deal in terms of like something that we would have needed the UN to step up to the plate for. And they completely dropped the ball. And it was kind of disgusting how like negligent all these aid organizations were. They pretty much spent the entire liberation setting up tents that didn't get used. Like, there, there were some like camps that were made that were kind of used but like all of it was like a lot of negligence there and they try what they try to do more than help people was like set up rules for the NGOs they were like oh you guys can't be armed or you guys can't do this and it's like well you don't pay us so uh, politely go fuck yourself like you know like that's you know you're not going to dictate anything towards us <laughs>
0: yeah yeah that was weird what was the last thing i said
1: um i have no idea i was going on a rant about the u.n and then everything cut out
0: very well yeah i uh i try not to like i got opinions about everything i try not to bring my bias into this podcast at least as much as i can but i mean i will say that i'm not particularly fond of the u.n i think it was a failure i think it was i think it was doomed to be a failure as soon as it began yeah but absolutely that's and just i me. mean
1: if there, if there was ever a time for the UN to be useful, it would have been Mosul, and they weren't. So, like, there's they're not going to get a second chance to redeem their stuff. Like, that was it. That was them stepping up to the plate and going, all right, here's the mm-hmm. big leagues. And uh, no, they, they just sat on the sidelines, so.
0: Oh, my God, dude. And, I mean, I don't know how much you're keeping up with this COVID stuff, but I, God, dude, I've been, like, covering this, pretty much since late January and I'm starting to get pretty tired of it, but the WHO, which is of course a UN organization is useless. It's completely yeah. useless. Yeah, absolutely. They haven't done anything. All they do is pedal Chinese propaganda. That's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, hundred percent. They, you know, along with the, with the, uh, UN are absolutely just, you know, they're just absolute waste. And, uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, they, they heard about like defunding them and they're like, oh, this is outrageous just because they think there's some like righteous health group and they're not. I've seen firsthand uh-huh. like and it's crazy. A lot of these groups that get like praised as being like these humanitarian heroes and it's like they're realistically they're scam artists. They, they get paid to be there and then they do nothing as a result and they just spend their entire time like spewing rules like the, uh, the Doctors Without Borders, for example, I even like I responded fairly to them. And I was like, you know, maybe outside of like combat medicine, they're a good group. But like they tried to bring like civilian side EMS to a battlefield and you can't do that. It won't. It's not applicable there. You cannot do that. You cannot yeah. go to the front lines of an active war zone and say, I'm declaring this a gun free zone. Let me know how that works out for you. You know, it's, it's not going to work.
0: Yeah, especially when you're fighting ISIS, man. It would be one thing if it was, you know, World War One and the Christmas truce, but you're fighting ISIS. Yeah. It's no rules, man. Yeah. Jesus. And, I mean, going back to what you were saying about, you know, the UN and that being, hey, they're, they're big opportunity, you know, to do something in Mosul. I mean, again, with this COVID stuff, the WHO, that's what they're for. Like, that's their purpose, man. Yeah is to coordinate, like, worldwide efforts to stop this shit. And absolutely. they did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's disgusting.
1: It's funny because then they, they, like, turned around and tried to shame people that, like, thought it was a hoax at first. And they're like, you guys are ridiculous. And I'm like, are we forgetting who you are and how you handled literally having information before, like, the rest of the world on this, on this whole thing?
0: Yeah. Like, when, um, what is it, the uh, the director general or whatever his position is called that tedros guy when, uh he started calling taiwanese people racist <laughs> cuz they told they told him like hey we gave you guys evidence of human to human transmission in early january and you just kind of brush us aside yeah but then when like china gives you evidence you know probably a month and a half later then it's big news and he's, like, oh, you know, Ty- Taiwan's making racist comments to me. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Time to you're an idiot. Aside.
1: The whole the whole thing needs to be defunded. It's, uh, I've been saying it for a while, but like even more so now. Like, I'm very jaded on like the whole subject now. Like, just just burn it all down. Like, we don't we don't need to waste any more tax dollars on this. It's worthless. Like, like NGOs in in this in the largest humanitarian crisis since World War II were like the ones leading the entire medical effort and like more importantly like you can even break it down to like pete reed like kind of leading that whole thing and coordinating others to like get involved and like 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 all of us were like volunteers like scavenging medical supplies and stuff meanwhile like this big funded government organization like did nothing sat on their hands it's like sorry can't help oh god uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I again, I try not to get uh, too political or bring bias in anything, but you know, if the WHO never sees a single one of my tax dollars again, I'm not complaining. Yeah, or the UN for that matter. Yeah,
1: yeah, facts are facts, though, man. If you if you find me another like larger crisis that they stepped up to the plate and successfully like assisted with, like I'd be willing to reason with you. But it really it doesn't get much larger than these two issues that they completely dropped the ball on. And so there's it's really scraping the barrel to defend them at this point.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean they they really haven't done anything, man. I mean, look at I don't know how much you know about Syria, but they haven't done anything in Syria. Yeah. Yeah. You know, President Assad gasses his own people. Yeah, that... And you know, you got ISIS doing god knows what whatever they want around the country you got the russians fighting with the syrian government you got the iranians fighting with the syrian government the u.n doesn't do anything yeah absolutely they condemn violence what is that what does that mean what is that even supposed to do yeah Yeah, they're basically saying please stop oh my god man it it just baffles me it really makes no sense to me
1: yeah yeah and that was uh that was part of the fun and you know, like going to school and stuff, uh, getting lectured on, you know, like how ISIS actually isn't that bad and how like they're just misunderstood. <laughs> and you know, like it's Oh man. It's really it's really interesting to hear that. I've I've heard the arguments for, you know, like, oh, they're just misunderstood, they're overhyped, they're not real, like the US is like the the ones actually that are like doing all of this stuff and then like posing it on ISIS and stuff, and I'm like, Do you do you like rehearse these things before you say them out loud
0: that's amazing man where'd you go to school if you don't mind uh, me asking san
1: <clears throat> california
0: okay that's down south yeah. right I'm trying yeah, to think where the like volley fires okay.
1: were like my school had a fire date and like <laughs> school was canceled because the uh the uh, football field caught on fire and I was like, Oh wow. Midwest we get snow days and California. We get fire days. This is bizarre.
0: Jesus. That's funny, man. My, my sister and my stepsister go to UC Santa Barbara. And I mean, I think their school got closed down for a little bit cause all the fires last year. Yeah. <sighs> In California, man, that's how it is here. But, um, yeah, dude, did you, when al-Baghdadi got killed, did you by any chance see that Washington Post article <laughs> about his death? Uh-huh. What? They, what was the title? I think the title was um, al-Baghdadi, like leader of ISIS, and austere religious scholar oh, did, is killed by that. the United States. I thought that was States. a meme,
1: like an onion post. That was real. <laughs>
0: I wish, I yeah, wish it was.
1: Crazy. Yeah, I have a. It's amazing, I have a, man. You know, I I almost like I, like I keep saying oh, I don't want to get political and stuff, but like I have a pretty long history with reporters, and uh, there's a Time Magazine interview with myself that will definitely never air because it did not go in their favor, and uh, like the dude, <laughs> the dude like legitimately like was angry and like spinning on himself while he yelled and. Like he was very upset. Um, they broke a story while we were out there and claimed that coalition airstrike kills a hundred civilians um, in Western Mosul. Yeah. So what? like they, they broke this story, right? So like uh, Rudolph broke this story and Rudolph has been kind of like linked to like assisting terrorists or being sympathetic to terrorist organizations and like spreading like propaganda and stuff. But they broke this story while we were literally in the front lines, on on the front lines of Mosul. So we all were, like, reaching out to each other at, like, different TSPs. And we're like, hey, how many body bags do you have? How many body bags do you have? We're probably going to get hit pretty hard. Like, if this story is true, like, we're going to be bagging people up. And nothing happened. Like, it was pretty quiet that day. Well you know the these reporters start coming through so they they launched this investigation against coalition forces and because you know they're claiming that this this one airstrike killed 100 civilians and like targeted civilians and all this and that so they shut down coalition air support and if people don't know coalition air support pretty much like was the fight against isis like that was pretty much like the driving factor if anybody's ever seen like pictures of the streets of Mosul and stuff like it would be a literal nightmare to go through there and clear that out by hands like all these fighters and stuff Um, so coalition air was pretty much like the hammer in that fight and so coalition air got shut down while they investigated it so we started reaching out like this uh, these reporters started showing up every now and then like this SUV would roll up and then reporters would be like hey can we interview you and then like you know disappear um, and these guys showed up, and they were with one of the segments at Time, and they're like, "Oh, how do you feel being an American here, and knowing that Americans just purposely murdered 100 civilians?" And I was like, "Where, where are you getting this from? Like, what do you mean?" Ooh. And they're like, "Oh, yeah, the I, did you hear about the coalition airstrike?" I was like, "Yeah, I did hear about it." And I was like, "Can you show me which direction the airstrike happened in?" And they're like, "Well, it's it's reported news; it's factual information." I was like, "Yeah, which district? Like, can you show me where this happened at? Because." And if people don't get the joke or not really a joke, I don't mean to say it as a joke, but like if people don't get the context here, every bit of Mosul was destruction and dead bodies lining the street. Like it was like Mad Max, like on steroids. So if I walked down the street and saw a hundred bodies, I could not tell you what caused that destruction or what killed those people. And I certainly wouldn't be able to go through and count how many bodies there were. So we started questioning like the integrity of like this claim. And I said, Well, did Rudolph post any pictures of where this alleged airstrike happened? And they're like, oh, no. And I'm like, so a news agency makes a report and you're running with it as factual information. I was like, can you show me the building where this happened? Can you drive me there? Because where they reported it was about an hour behind currently ISIS-controlled territory. So I was like, you mean to tell me that a civilian in a civilian vehicle drove an hour behind ISIS-controlled territory? Got out, walked around, saw 100 bodies, saw this airstrike happen, came back, reported it, didn't take a single picture, and did all of this without being shot at or hit in the crossfire of this fighting. I was like, this this makes sense to you. And they were like, well, that's factual information. I was like, no, I was like, "I, I want you to tell me that in your head, this makes sense to you, that this seems logical to you that an unarmored civilian vehicle did this and a journalist of all people. And they didn't bother to grab a picture of it. So like this dude's raging out. And I was like, let's be real. What you want to do is sell the whole America's evil story because it sells. And you want to take this uh, whole thing, this alleged tragedy. And I was like, you want to push it. And you want me to be like, yeah, this is so bad. I condemn these actions. And I was like, But I want to see that this happened. I was like, we're the people with all the body bags. I was like, we'd be the ones bagging them up. Otherwise, they're still there. And I was like, and if it was an airstrike, how did they pull the bodies out of the buildings to count them in an active war zone? I was like, look around you. I was like, can you tell me what any of these people died from? You know what I mean? Um, That was pretty much that. Now, a whole caveat there, because I've had this conversation like a thousand times since I've been home. A hundred percent coalition air killed civilians, and a hundred percent those civilian deaths were a hundred percent a tragedy. But if you want to tell me that you believe this story, that they went out and targeted a hundred civilians with an airstrike, and that Rudolph went out there, counted a hundred bodies, witnessed the whole thing and walked away without taking a picture, and like you you're willing to believe that, like you're an absolute moron. But what did happen as a result, and this is why I got pretty passionate about this story. Um, coalition air shutdown. So we saw the largest spike of Iraqi casualties. Um, Iraqi forces started suffering heavy casualties because they didn't have air to support them. So they were going out and clearing everything on foot without air support. So we started getting a lot of people killed by snipers, uh, a lot of people taken out in tanks, you know, et cetera. And it was a massive wave of like Iraqi destruction. And it's like, you know, this, this was all based around a story that has no evidence behind it. And the U.S. ended up having to, like, be like, yeah, we, we definitely conducted air operations, which they did every single day in Mosul. And they're like, so, yeah, we probably did that. And it's, like, because some poor guy couldn't go on the ground and prove that he didn't do it. You know what I mean? So, like, the whole thing was this giant, oh, like, my God. circle jerk of, like, anti-American, like, stuff. And it was like, yeah, you can totally push the, uh, you know, like, the invasion and all this other stuff. And you can could, you could say, you know, like, yeah, America kind of, like, led to the creation of ISIS and everything else, but, like, don't sell me on this, like, story that makes no sense. Like, that's a totally separate discussion. And, 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 and if it actually happens, <laughs> yeah. some Rudolph person out there has the biggest balls of anybody on this planet and is also apparently incredibly strong to lift, like, debris off a bunch of people and didn't care for their safety and life and also needs to get a camera.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, incredibly stupid for not taking any pictures. Yeah, how are you a
1: journalist, and the last thing on your mind is to take pictures of the largest tragedy you've ever reported on?
0: Yeah, to go back to that Time reporter, I mean, I'm not sure what determines something as being factual information if there's no evidence. If that's the case, then every single thing that comes out of any reporter's mouth. Yeah, it's factual
1: and, and to like also information add context to that and why I'm like critical or like why I challenge a lot of these things uh, again looking at Mosul and the situation if there was a lot of destroyed bodies you know there was destroyed buildings bodies on the streets and stuff and uh, there were a lot of reports on the total death count in Mosul and I'm like who's going through and counting these bodies so any number that's yeah, especially yeah, while the fighting's still going on. Any number that that was reported from there is a guess at best. I, I saw a uh, video from I think it was 2018 or early 2019 of a group going through there and like still pulling bodies from the rubble. And I'm like, so like those those bodies definitely didn't get reported. So it was all just you know it was a guess. Like oh, I think this many people were killed in the fighting. And then like people are like, well, I read a report that says, and it's like, listen, like. I get it. You you read the news, you think it's credible, but like I want you to use your brain and look at the situation on the ground and say there's no way anybody counted everybody in that city and could give you an accurate count. Like it didn't happen.
0: It was it was a lot. Yeah, and I think I th- Sorry about that. No, I think a report like that Like, oh, you know, 100 civilians killed by a coalition airstrike, you know, one coalition airstrike, I think that it takes away from the civilian deaths that actually did happen, right? Because people are going to see that article, and I think most reasonable people are going to, again, read that article and be like, hey, there's no supporting – there's no corroborating evidence. There's no pictures, nothing. So this is probably complete BS, right? And I think that does kind of take away a little bit from the civilian deaths that actually did happen, right? It
1: was a hundred percent a tragedy. And it was like, but it was also, it was disgusting to see this person who had like a predetermined like story and thing to sell and like, wasn't listening to logic. And like, like I said, that, that interview, like we went on, like the interview continued and like, he asked me where I was from and how long I'd been there and everything. And like, and You know, I was like, I guarantee this never airs because like they did not like what I had to say. They would have much rather found somebody that wanted to be on TV or in Time magazine that was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I just I'm just going to go along with this. But they didn't find that guy. So they were not happy. Yep. they also uh, journalists got kicked off the front lines because um, a lot of the generals uh, in the Iraqi forces, they were they were like, look at how much men I'm losing because we don't have air support and they condemn the journalist over it. A lot of them absolutely hate journalists because of what happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I blame them, man. And I assume that only made your guys that much more difficult, right? Because you got, like you said, mounting casualties because oh, you absolutely. guys aren't getting air support. So that just makes your your life harder, right? That's that many more casualties that you have to treat, that much more... Um, You know, just logistical support that you have to figure out, stuff like that. So
1: we had a pretty steady flow of patient care. And unfortunately, the largest amount of patients we would treat were civilians. At that time, that air, you know, when everybody, everything was shut down. We saw an influx of, you know, military people and killed in the fighting. And a lot of it was, and to add more context to this, uh, when ISIS found out that, you know, West Mosul was about to be liberated, they trapped a lot of civilians in the homes, they purposely used human shields so that if a, a civilian got killed in, you know, in the fighting, they could use it as a propaganda video and say, look what everybody else did and try to gain support. And if you think about it, that's a pretty common like, terrorist tactic is to use that to gain numbers. And unfortunately, that's, that's the very real situation that happened is a lot of civilians were trapped in the city and they would shoot them if they were fleeing. A lot of my videos are people getting shot, trying to flee West Mosul and coming to us, finding us as a, you know, trauma
0: stabilization point. Oh my God, man. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a Mm -hmm. horrible tactic, but it works, right? That's why they do it. It's propaganda at its finest, man. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus. So how long were you in Kurdistan or Iraq um, before the offensive kicked off, and you started started uh, hitting up the front so lines.
1: Let's See here, probably about four or five days. Um, uh, we, yeah, when, when we got oh, there, really? um, I think just like anybody, like fresh to the ground, they're like, "I want action! I want action!" Like, why are we sitting around? And so, at, at one point in time, we got yeah. asked to drive uh, supplies to the Canadian NGO I referenced earlier. And so we had to load up a Hilux full full of supplies and take to them. And we were like, we were pretty upset. You know, we were like, we've been here. We're here to get some action. And all we're doing is supplying other people, you know, like we want to get in on the action and, you know, um, and then looking at big picture, you know, we were staging supplies for them to assist us, you know, like larger picture. And, uh, we definitely ended up going before them. They actually ended up sitting at that spot for a while. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of hurry up and wait or felt like in reality, it wasn't very long, but it, it really didn't feel like, you know, like a lot of sitting around twiddling thumbs. And then we finally got the call, hey, tomorrow morning, the offensive kicks off. And we went and we slept in um, ice off like one of their little houses out in the field. And then um, it kicked off the next day. I have like a video of it all kicking off. And um, that's when everything started.
0: Jeez, man, how was working with uh, ISOF? At
1: first, the biggest difficulty was like the language barrier, um, and then that kind of transitioned to uh, like their method of medical treatment. Um, not to talk bad on them, but it, it was not the best. So, like their their procedure was to like cut tourniquets off people because they were complaining of the pain, um, which obviously yeah posed its own problems. Oof. So we had a. We had a pretty long back and forth with him. Like, please don't cut these off when a patient gets comes in with them. Please don't cut these off. And, like, um, you know, so that was kind of, like, an uphill battle. One, the, like, language barrier to, you know, the difference in, like, medical procedures. Um, but, no, some tough dudes for sure. Um, I know they get a lot of crap and everything because they're, like, their training videos and stuff. But, like, you know, I witnessed, you know, some of these guys are super ballsy. Um, the Iraqi army too, in general, that, you know, they'd roll up in a uh, shot up V, unload their, cause um, they, you know, the, the Arabs, they don't, they don't grieve like, you know, everyone else. It's, uh it's, it's bizarre to see in person and it's almost hard to explain. Um, but like, they would unload like their dead friends or their dead relatives and just like, go back to work. Like it's, you know, a nine to five job and like, it, they didn't seem phased by it, you know, stuff like that. And that was also like a, like a culture shock is seeing how they grieve differently. Um, it was a pretty like bizarre experience.
0: Jeez, yeah, I can imagine I, I had heard that somewhere. yeah it, um, it was, you know was, that they grieve differently Yeah, than, a, it was the a Westerners show or whatever seen
1: it and I, You know that kind of like resonated because I was like yeah, it's absolutely true. they, they do not grieve the same way. Oh, Generation Kill. A, I think it was in Generation Kill. Um, when they killed the kid. Oh, that's right. When. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. And that they was, were just like okay. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's and that's that's super realistic. Like they that show. Like, but before I was in, is when I watched that show, and then I got out, and then like years. I actually just recently, like my wife was like looking for something to watch, and we watched it again, and I was like, man, I never appreciated how accurate this show is. And, like, it, it, that's probably the most, like, realistic military show out there, it, it, especially in terms of, like, Marines.
0: That's funny. I, I had the advantage of not seeing that until I was already in, right? And it was, like, at a point where, you know, dude, like, you're in 29 Palms yeah. and you just want to get out. Right. You're just tired of it all. So I've watched Generation Kill for the first time, man. I love that show. Oh, yeah. So I, I definitely realistic. did not
1: appreciate it nearly as much as I do, you know, watching it after having been in and after, you know, being in Iraq and everything. That's, uh, that really created a whole new appreciation. But that show is spot on. Yeah. And it, it was, it was in this show where they said that, and like, it really resonated. I was like, yeah, 100%. That is, you know, spot on. They, they definitely they grieve differently and, you know, it's, it was just like, kind of like, it, it took me back, you know, the first couple of times I witnessed it, you know, like, cause you know, we, we got tasked with the difficult task of, uh, you know, we did, uh, we did CPR on a few people and we brought them back and it kind of, you know, after a while it became pretty hard because, uh, everybody expected us to be able to bring every single person back, you know? And it was like, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, explaining like, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. there's not much I could do, but they also like took it like, Oh, okay. You know? And it was, it was really, really surreal.
0: Jeez, ma'am.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds sure. like it was a hell of an experience. Yeah, then, uh, so, but I, uh, once I, once I kind of started with the uh, YouTube thing. So when I was an EMT, that's, that's what like led me to creating like the Mosul Medic, uh, project. When I was an EMT, uh, we had a guy come in that had taken the course like years prior with the same instructors and stuff. And he went and worked uh, in Israel on the Gaza Strip. And uh, he had some footage of like some of the people injured by like suicide bombers and stuff. And uh, so it was like all footage of that. And it was like really good training, you know, as opposed to like sitting there staring at a dummy or your friend and going, okay, he's been shot in the leg." you know, it's actually like a totally different, you know, experience to be able to see it and actually see like a tourniquet getting placed and stopping a bleed or, you know, um, seeing what a mass casualty actually looks like and how there's a lot of sound and, you know, kind of how it's like sensory overloading um, in a sense. And as opposed to just, like, notionally, like, especially, like, a lot of it was, like, you know, you, you stare at a dummy all day, and it's like, yeah, but just picture he's traumatically bleeding. And it's like, well, you can't do that if you've never seen a traumatic bleed before.
0: Do you guys ever um, work with coalition forces at all? Yeah,
1: um, we would deliver. So um, kind of part of the the biggest um, nightmare of working in Mosul was coordinating like where we were going to take patients, right? So we were just our sole purpose was to stabilize the victims so that they could survive the ambulance ride back to you know higher care. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, like a lot of the roads were destroyed. You know, the place was. Blown to bits. So, um, and a lot of the you know medical groups that had like surgical teams and stuff, they weren't allowed to be close to the fighting. So you're talking like a couple hours to get to some places. Um, Yeah, coalition allowed us to take um, critically injured children and uh, like military personnel that were injured (laughs) to them. So they they were relatively close. They weren't too too far from us, uh, but we would drop people off there. And they had a pretty, you know, phenomenal team. Um, like couple variations of like some, a couple different like special forces medics and stuff that we would um, deliver to, and steal their MREs.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, what'd you guys eat out there besides MREs?
1: community rice um so the iraqis love to sit around a giant plate of rice and scoop it up with their hands after not showering and you know playing with blood and guts and everything else and um oh for a while you know like we were desperate we would eat it then we started getting like really bad stomach bugs and we got like really desperate and it's like, please give us MREs. We'll give you however much whiskey you want. And like we would drive to Erbil And then um, uh, the army civil affairs people fed us too. like, if we'd go to their, their little base or we would buy stuff from like Erbil and take it with us. So like, I got super comfortable with uh, some weird Um, I don't even know what it's called, like some type of bread and like a peanut butter jelly mix, like became like my everyday food for like the longest time.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure uh, those MREs are better than the community rice for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, we we worked. uh, We started the liberation. We were working with uh, some uh, French special forces dudes. And they gave really, us a bunch of, yeah, they gave us a bunch of their MREs, and surprisingly, their MREs are worse than our MREs. And I never thought <laughs> in a million years I would ever say that, but their MREs are so awful that like it was it was funny because uh, we we hung out with them and they, they're two of the coolest dudes. Um, and we we didn't know who they were at first, so like everybody, if you don't know every like special forces from pretty much every group dressed in the iraqi special forces uniform so like the seals That's the
0: all black right Yeah,
1: the all black um and so like the french dudes they wore it too with like baliklavas over their face and so like you know we didn't know who was who but we started talking to them and one of them had like the funny like uh, i'm trying to think of his name from the cartoon the french guy from the man he had this, like, funny, like, stereotypical French accent, and it was, like, hilarious. He was, like, the coolest guy to work with. And, like, we were working together on a patient, and, you know, we hadn't really spoken before. Everybody was, like, in their own cliques, kind of, like, nobody knew who, who was. And we ended up on a patient together with, like, a broken femur. And he moves the guy's leg, and the whole leg just turns to, like, jelly. And, like, he goes, Ooh, okay, guy. And I was, like, I was like, in that moment, I was, like, you're French. And like, we started talking to them and they were like the coolest dudes ever. And, um, they gave us a bunch of MREs and they were so terrible. So it was like dog food and like dog food that you have to heat up with like some really like old school, like uh, campfire. It was, it was bad all around. <laughs> and I just like had the, like the greatest time of my life trying to prepare this French MRE and, um. Uh, yeah, so we started out with those and then progressed to the, like, community rice and goats. They would kill goats, um, and we would eat, like, the goat meat, but that was even sketchy because um, there really wasn't much places to wash your hands, so, like, everything was, like, at a very great risk.
0: <laughs> Jesus, man. Yeah. <laughs> How was, um? I mean, how was the fighting? Did you guys get close to it at all?
1: Uh, once, ironically, right before I left. um, Like, you know, sporadic shots and we'd hear V-beds. Uh, we had a v, uh, V-bed hit our uh, our security team. So we had a uh, couple ISOF Humvees and they were kind of doing like, um, like perimeter security for us. And we were all sitting down having chai with the neighbors. So, like, the neighbor to the last TSP we set up in a mosque, um, he was an English professor for one of the local uh, Mosul schools. And so he, t- he spoke English really well. And we were sitting down and we were, like, asking them. So I, I wanted to start, um, like, my own kind of, like, podcast kind of thing where I interview, like, the survivors and, like, what day-to-day life was under ISIS. And, like, we were just yeah. asking them, like, about their, their lives and what day-to-day lives were. And uh, a Vbed hit um, one of our, our Humvees and, like, just completely, like, shook the building and, like, was, like, the loudest thing I've ever heard. Um, but we, we took some shots. So, like, it's kind of hard to, like, differentiate between, like, the fighting and Iraqi dudes just firing in celebration because that's a very common occurrence there and they have like very little um understanding of gun safety so like they'll legitimately just be like i'm gonna shoot this wall a few times because i can and like we would be on edge um but after a while we kind of got used to it so like we'd hear like the crack 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 and we'd be like oh you know whatever they're just firing off some rounds uh, but we are like kind of posted up uh it was, like, 7 p.m., usually, like, around, like, 7 p.m., like, we would stop getting casualties because, like, they didn't really do much fighting in the dark. Um, like, not many casualties would come in the middle of the night. And at like, 7 p.m., like, a bunch of shots rang out, and some of the Iraqi soldiers came in. And they're like, hey, don't go to the roof. People were shooting at us. And what had happened was there was a tank that was decommissioned that was in our parking lot. Like, it got taken out, and they parked it, like, right out in front of the mosque. And we think, I don't know if it's, like, the case, but, like, this is my best theory, is that they were trying to take the tank. So, like, they were shooting up our, uh, our TSP, and, like, a bunch of shots were ringing out. And One uh, is, it was kind of funny because uh, we started out, you know, like, you know, some of us had AKs and stuff. And then, like, it became this big, like, push and shove at the UN not to be armed. So, we were like, yeah, we won't be armed just so, like, we don't cause any trouble or anything. And then, like, all this shooting goes on. And this fed pole guy just, like, hands me an AK. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, like <laughs> here, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. And just, like, hands me an AK. And uh, we were kind of up in, like, a second story. And I saw some muzzle flash by this, like, trailer. I, like, fired some shots out. It wasn't, like, you know, anything to write home about. But, like, that was the closest fighting we got. Bunch of shootouts. And it's, it's funny because I have a picture Uh, me and one of the iSoft dudes, he like wanted to take a selfie with me on the roof because we were up until like six in the morning. And like, I was in my gym shorts with a vest on and an AK running around. And like, he wanted to take a picture with me up on the roof. And it was like the funniest picture. (laughs) But yeah, other than that, no, just, you know, a lot of mortars. Uh, We had a mortar, um, sadly land in the, there's, there's a picture of me that, I forgot who took it. Um, I can't remember, if it was Stars and Stripes or who of me carrying a little girl, and uh, we had a mortar land in our front yard while a bunch of kids were playing, and we had to scoop them up because the kids all got you know got hit. Um, but like you know, other than that, not real like you know like ground fighting or anything. Just a lot of like stray, um, stray mortars. We had a ambulance that we believe took an RPG around it burst into flames it was full of oxygen and just like exploded um, and caught on fire um, yeah and that was all for oxygen so we didn't have oxygen for a while
0: Jesus, that's shitty. Yeah. <laughs> that's shitty luck, yeah.
1: man. Yeah. It was. We were just getting resupplied with oxygen because we didn't have oxygen for a while. And the ambulance, full of oxygen, just can't, I don't know what hit it a mortar or an RPG or something. And it
0: just baboosh
1: up in flames like a big ball of fire.
0: I am. Um, oh, what have you been up to since you left Mosul? Um, or Iraq?
1: whole lot of like other, I got out, I I got back and then uh, I tried the contracting thing and now I work um, basically as like a glorified doctor's assistant. I like draw blood and do a lot of boring stuff. Nothing exciting. And then I just work on uh, YouTube. That's about it. I live a pretty boring life now.
0: Hey man, you uh. You did your time. <laughs> you had your excitement for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, those days are long behind me now. Yeah, I, I I the last I got offered a gig in Africa and I wanted to take it so bad and my wife was kind of like just gave me the look and now it's just understood that I'm not allowed to deploy
0: anymore. So Gotcha. Is that a EMT sort of thing or what?
1: No, even even less than an EMT. Um I I work for a pretty, pretty low speed medical facility. And, uh, I just prep people for surgery, basically draw their blood and get their vitals. And it's, it's pretty boring. I work with a really cool doctor. Um, really cool dude. Um, he was Brazilian army and we just, you know, we just shoot the shit all day and
0: Well, hey, man, we've been at it for uh, a little bit. I would love to have you on again, though. Um, before we go, is there any any uh, social media you want to shout out, or organizations, or anything like that? Yeah.
1: Um, so, global response management. Uh, they're they've been doing the big COVID thing in like Mexico and stuff. And like I said, I worked with Pete and Alex, and they're good people. So, global response management's a good group to look into. Um, donate to um, Academy of Emergency Medicine, uh, the Slovakian NGO. They, I know they're getting ready to do some more stuff in Iraq. Um, so Church of Evidence-Based Medicine, uh, St. Fisher. Um, it's, it's a meme group, but it's a very educational medical group. And then, of course, my uh, YouTube channel, Mosul Medic, if you uh, want to subscribe and give some shares. I appreciate it. I, I just now got uh, monetized, so I'm, I uh, oh, since nice.
0: 2017
1: I've made 10 cents on the channel, so it's definitely not a profit <laughs> kind of thing.
0: <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you for sure. I think I've made a uh, dollar and four cents off this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my
1: they, uh, they at first all my my channels or all my. Uh, videos were prohibited because it's graphic content. And then I don't know what happened one day. They just sent me a check and said they re-reviewed my channel. And I guess since it's educational purposes, they'll allow it. I was like, Oh, cool. (laughs) Why not? I'll take it.
0: Uh, Yeah, man. I'd love to have you on again at some point. It was really good talking to you
1: too. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. sounds good. Uh, I'll see you around, man. Take it easy. You too. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. And, of course, thank you to Mr. Austin Howe for coming on. It was great to have him. Of course, this podcast is sponsored by the Mission Essential Gear Company. You can find that at stayready.me. It's also the same website you can find our blog on. of course like share subscribe rate whatever you could do on the platform you're listening to this podcast you could find this podcast on any platform that you find all your other podcasts it's everywhere um and yeah of course thank you for listening and we'll see you guys around next time